Good morning, everyone. It's good to see each one of you. We we are right in the middle of this series, message series called Everyday Missionary. And so, if this is your first time, again, we we'd love to meet you. Just back at the guest information table, uh, you might be here, and you maybe came uh, to our movie night. And so, we'd love to to again meet you, say hi to you. We've got a little gift for you if you're a new student. Again, just if you're new today, stop by guest information table so we can greet you personally. Yeah, we're, we're three weeks into this message series called Everyday Missionary, and each week we've been highlighting the fact that the word missionary simply means someone who is sent. Okay, that's what a missionary is. Someone who is sent. And what about this word every day? What, what is something that you do every day? Okay, think about the things that you do every day. You know, we eat, we sleep, um, hopefully, you know, some hygiene every day, you know, for us, you know, there's a, you know, some, some, for some people it's exercise every day. You could actually take a photo in the same place every day of yourself and just see how you change through the course of a year. And then there's an app called Every Day. And so I actually want to show you a video of this app every day and advertised by the app uh, developer himself. And so I want you to listen carefully though to what the app developer says in his uh, advertisement. So let's let's watch this. Give it a moment. The suspense is building, I know. No good. No good. Okay. Well, have you seen this app before, the Everyday app? You shoot a photo of yourself basically in the same position, you know, and it actually you can line up your head to where it's supposed to be from yesterday. And so that over the course of a year, you can kind of run this thing and see how you, you know, your beard grows or it gets cut or your hair changes and everything, but essentially you're the same person. And so anyway, he, he makes this statement as he's describing the app. And he says, you know, despite life being a meaningless crawl to death, life goes fast, capture it. Despite life being a meaningless crawl to death, life goes fast. Capture it. I, I was watching the video at first time. This is clever. And the first time he said it, he said it really quick. And I'm like, wait, what did he say? And I rewound it. Yeah, that's what he said. Now, if this is true, then there's really no point in what you do every day. If that's your thinking, that death is just some meaningless you know, crawl, then there's no point in, in anything in life. But as we've been looking at in this series, we have tremendous value. And the role that we play in life, the role that you and I can play in life, adds so much meaning and value. And so despite what he's saying, there, you and I, there, there's a role we can, we can play. We live in this world and, and every one of us every day is being sent you know, into the world. He sends us into families. He sends us into work, into school, into a circle of friends. And there's those that we don't even know yet, but God is sending us to reach out to people. And so today I want to look at some specifics on how to go about being a missionary. And it's not that we lack motivation. Some of you here, I know, I know well, and I know of you, you meet people, and you are very intentional in the way that you try to get to know people and share your faith. And I really, I see that, and it's encouraging to me. And so for, for some of you here, it's not a matter of motivation. It's a matter of uh, 
training and instruction. Sometimes we just don't know how to be most effective in our sharing. And so I want to build, continue to build in this series on how to be more effective as those who've been sent. And so I want to build on Acts 1.8. Look at Acts 1.8. And this is a point we made. Uh, is that an everyday missionary is a witness to the world. Okay, is a witness to the world. Acts 1.8, we referenced this last week. It's what Jesus told his followers about their role. And he said this. He tells his followers, You, but you will be, or you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, there's going to be, and that power, it's, it's, it's the same power as the word that we get our English word dynamite from. So it's this explosive, amazing power. It's tons of uh, energy. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We looked at this passage last week. But I want to highlight this, this word witness again. It says we are witnesses, okay? Look at that word. Now, witnesses are those who see something and then say something about it. If you've witnessed a car accident, you saw the wreck, the police show up and said, I need, did anybody witness this? You say, yeah, I saw the whole thing. This person did this, this person did this, and, and this is all that I saw. And the policemen are concerned. Who actually saw it? Well, no, I heard it. No, but who actually saw it? Okay, those are the witnesses. Those are the key witnesses. Um, one time I was running, and there was a motorcycle accident, and I heard the impact, but I didn't see it. And so I was waiting around because I wanted to be a witness, you know, because I heard it. And I saw, like, the moment after where the guy rolled, and I was there with a group of people surrounding this guy, keeping him on the ground. And it was uh, it was a frightening experience. But the police, when he got to me, the policeman just said, did, what did you see? And I said, well, I heard you. Okay, you can go. But I want to be a witness, you know. And I didn't get to be a witness that day. But a witness is someone who sees something and then says something about it. And so... By the second century, the Greek word here, the Greek word for witness is martu race. Okay, martu race. By the second century, this word really came to mean, you know, in English we, we call a martyr, right? A martyr. And this word really began to take on new meaning because so many Christians sealed their witness to Christ in their own blood. Basically, they gave up their lives Many people in the first and second century, they paid with their very blood to say to say something about what they'd seen. They they're sharing about the difference that Christ has made in their life. Now, being a martyr now most often has a very extreme connotation to it. The word martyr is a very extreme word these days. Uh, being a witness calls Christ followers to prepare to sacrifice. A witness is someone who is who does that. A witness is prepared to sacrifice things in their lives. For example, we, we give up our time. That's a sacrifice. In order to help someone come to know Christ, you invest your time, your resources to help people come to know Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe to help someone out during your work day and you're showing the love of God to them, you're helping them out. Again, that's a sacrifice. Maybe you serve someone. You see there's a need and you step in and you serve to meet that need. Or maybe you speak up and you start identifying that you're a Christ follower. A lot of people get rejected when they share that they're a Christ follower these days. And so you may be sacrificing your reputation by claiming to follow Christ. But there is this issue of sacrifice when we talk about what it means to be a witness. There's three components I want to highlight. The first one is this, that a witness needs to show others. 
Okay? Witness needs to show others. Whenever we share a testimony about Christ or we start explaining what the Bible says it means to follow Christ, like what's the definition of a Christian? Whenever we actually start sharing with people, people listen through the filter of what they already know about us. Okay? So think about this. Again, anytime we share, people listen through the filter of what they already know about us. It's essential that we do as much as we can to show the love of God to others and then make it right when we blow it. When we've blown our witness, there's a ripple effect with a bad witness that is really hard to measure. But there is a ripple effect on, on all of us. When someone else you know, chooses to not show in very real ways what it means to follow Christ and instead does the opposite, there's a ripple effect. For example... If you're a Christian and you, you know, you, how you treat your boss, how you treat your coworkers, there's an effect. That has a tremendous impact on how Christians are perceived, what people think it means to be a Christian. If you're a gracious boss, let's, boss, let's say you run a business, if you're gracious to your employees, that, that has a tremendous impact. It makes a contribution towards people believing that Christianity actually makes a difference in real life. Your influence at, at work can go a long way. Uh, the way you follow your boss, the way you're respectful to your other you know, co-workers, even when it's difficult, your co-workers, they're watching your attitude. They're watching. They notice the difference of those who follow Christ and those who don't. If you're a college student, you know, you're trying to take Christ seriously on campus. You're trying to maybe look for ways to befriend people, to share your faith with others. And again, you realize people need to know about God's love. They need to know that Christ died for them. And you start really wanting to share. Well, that has an impact. People are watching the way you live your life. If you're married, people are watching your marriage. They're watching the way that you relate to one another. They're observing how you speak, how you interact. In family life, friends are watching how your kids relate, how they deal with problems. Now, as we say all this, the tension is kind of mounting in our, in our hearts, right? We're like, oh, man. Because the thoughts of the, you know, the moments when we haven't been the best witness... The reality is this, we can't be perfect. People are watching. We can't be perfect, but we aim to keep living in a way that pleases God. There's an impact in the way that we show our faith. In, in a second component is, is telling. We tell others. We have to tell the story or else it won't be understood. It's not enough just to show others that you follow Christ and the difference He's made. In fact, there's a common quote, and here it is, there's a common quote that is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And the quote is this, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. This promotes the idea of showing others that you're a Christian, right? Preach the gospel through your life is what it's saying. Use words if necessary. It's clever. It's not necessarily, it was not necessarily uh, actually spoken by St. Francis. Uh, he's a tr- Most people say he said something similar to this. Um, but I want you to look at this quote about this idea. This is from the editor of Christianity Today, Mark Galley. He gets us thinking about the importance of both showing and telling. He says, Preach the gospel, use words if necessary, goes hand in hand with a postmodern assumption that words are finally empty of meaning. It subtly denigrates the high value that the prophets, Jesus, and Paul put on preaching. Of course... We want our actions to match our words as much as possible, but the gospel is a message 
It's news about an event and a person upon which the history of the planet turns. So a godly life should serve as a witness for the message we proclaim. But without words, without words, what else can our actions point to than just ourselves? What else can our godly lives point to than just a, a good person? Because if we never tell others why we live differently, we get the we get the glory. Actually, somebody said to me after first service that the Lord convicted him years ago of, of this idea. He was really trying to live the Christian life, but he was afraid to share with people. Or he didn't, or he said he just didn't share with people why he lived differently. And one of his coworkers said, "You know what? I want to be like you. You're the most." loving and humble and kind person. And the guy said, the Lord spoke to me as I was sitting there and he said, you are robbing my glory because he wouldn't speak up and tell him why he was different. So a godly life alone cannot communicate, for example, that God became flesh as Jesus. He was incarnate. You can't communicate that just through showing Others, A godly life cannot communicate that Jesus' death was the substitution, the atonement for sinners. You can't express that just through showing others the difference. You can't express you know, the hope of redemption or the, you, that a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone. You can't communicate that just through living the life. And so we need to tell others. The book of Romans actually says that people don't decide to follow Jesus without a messenger. Look at Romans 10, 13, and 14. Paul writes, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he says, How then will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? See, this is saying there needs to be some communication verbally. How are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? This is the role we, have, we, we get to play. It's a privilege of telling others. And I want to talk more about this as we wrap up the series next week about the importance of telling others and what to share. But the third aspect of being a witness is to bring others. One way to be a witness is to invite friends, to invite family, to attend a place where they can hear and where they can see the message of Jesus Christ in a variety of environments. So whether it's a Sunday morning and people are being exposed to the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ and songs about Him, um, or we're talking about, or it's a small group where the group is sharing about the, the real life journey of, of walking with Jesus, just like we saw in that video. You know, that Christ made a difference to Mario in that video because he saw people that were living it out and he didn't come to Christ until joining that group and then it was in that group that everything kind of came together. He committed his life to, to Jesus Christ. It was that environment. It was a small group environment. Sometimes that happens here. Sometimes it happens in small groups. Sometimes it's a church-wide event. Sometimes it's volunteering and being a part of what we're doing. But whether it's small group or, or Sunday morning, we always keep our guests in mind. We're always thinking about, how is this going to land on, on guests that are here and that are processing what it means to, to, to follow Christ? The reason we're thinking through that is because so many of you keep inviting people to our church. You know, and, and honestly, so many of you, you just, it's, it's, you actually, you have a reputation in inviting people to things. And it's, it spreads and it's encouraging to the gang here, the group here as you share and invest in, in others. And, but we want people who are far from God to be drawn to Jesus Christ. 
We want people to be drawn to Jesus Christ. So we do events like the movie night in the park, like the Orange Crestival. We do a family Christmas service. We do a softball tournament, picnics. We do a bunch of things to just reach out because we want people to be drawn to know Jesus Christ. And so those events are first steps for many to build a relationship with with Jesus Christ, with us as well. And so it leads us to kind of another major point on being a witness. You cannot be a lone ranger and be all that effective. If you're trying to be a lone ranger in your witness, it's, it's, it's limiting. So being an effective witness involves a team effort. It's, this is a team effort. We get to work together. This might be new thinking and new perspective for you. And this may be like a, a, an important tweak to make. When I first got excited about sharing my faith, I was, I was about 18, and, and knowing Jesus as Lord of my life was kind of a new concept. And I finally realized I had just grown up in the church and tucked away a bunch of mental things, but I never really surrendered to follow Jesus as Lord, as, as the boss of my life. And as soon as I did, I wanted to share that with as many people as I could. Whoever would listen, I was wanting to share. So I remember going to the Tyler Mall. I remember talking to coworkers at Hoagie Yogi, which was a sandwich and yogurt shop that I used to work at um, in Riverside. And I remember sharing with people in the dorms and through sports. And I, and I think all of that pleased God. Just looking back, I think there was a real genuine heart in sharing. But looking back now, I can see how I was approaching this kind of like the Lone Ranger. I was just trying to just, on my own, just be independent in trying to reach people. And I was missing an opportunity to team up with others. And there are certain, certainly situations where God uses an individual to share their faith and someone comes to know Jesus Christ. And we can trace accounts in the Bible where, it's, where there is an individual sharing and they make a difference. And so... But more often than not in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, we see effective witnessing is involving some sort of a team. There's a team effort. Uh, don't, you know, don't quote, quote me on saying, he doesn't want me to share my faith if I'm alone. So I'm certainly not saying that. You know, by all means, share your faith. However, maybe the tweak of adding other people may make you more effective. Some of you are great at building relationships the people that are that are searching and they're that they're that wanting answers about what what is life all about and you're great you're great connectors but maybe you're you're just needing the minor tweak of the team and so here's some examples of the team effort in the scripture look at the first one it's this group known as the 72 the 72 Luke 10 chapter 10 verses 1 through 6 you can read the whole chapter or you can read the whole uh, passage here if you'd like I want to highlight the first verse as well. It says this. Jesus basically, this is not the 12 disciples. This is another group. Okay, 72 other followers. Basically, he sends them out by pairs to prepare the way before he would go and visit a village. And so here's what, here's what it says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So this group, they were instructed to go and to be on the lookout for people who, who were ripe and ready to respond to the gospel message. People that God was drawing their hearts, they, they were to be on the lookout for that ripe group. It's like you see a tree that's just, it's got ripe fruit on it and it's time to pick it. And if you, if, you know, if you start tugging on a, a, a ripe or a, you know, not ripe lemon or something, you know, it's not going to come off the tree. It's certainly not going to taste good. It's not ready. Well, God is preparing some people. He's making them ready to respond to an invitation, 
to you, sharing with them. And so, these, this group was sent in pairs to go looking for who, who's ripe and ready in a community. Also to be on the lookout for someone that he called like a person of peace. Someone that had, who had influence and that who would almost be a host through their influence to impact that village. And so, the, the, these 72 were instructed to, to kind of pack light. They were to really depend on God. You can read about the passage. But the thing I want you to, to recognize here is that pairs... They went out two by two. Pairs of people would be able to do something. They'd be able to discern situations. They'd be able to de- debrief conversations. If I'm trying to you know, sort out, man, I, I wonder why as I'm sharing with this person, that it, I'm just not connecting. If I have someone to share that with and have a conversation with to help me, I, that goes much further. Someone to debrief with is really important. Pairs can pray together for courage. Pairs can encourage each other. Pairs can celebrate what God has, has done. And another thing is that with a pair, you add strength and gifting that others can bring that fill out your weaknesses, the gaps in our understanding. This is the importance of, of others. Another example, Peter and John. Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. You see Peter and John doing ministry together. These were a couple of Jesus' closest Followers, and after Jesus ascended into heaven, Peter and John are moving forward and sharing the message of Jesus Christ. They're moving ahead with that mandate that he'd given. And one day they were heading into the temple, and as they were heading into the temple, there was a crippled man there that was begging. And Peter and John took the time, and they, they responded to his question, and they, they basically healed him on the spot. And what it did was the healing stirred up a lot of attention but it provided an opportunity for them to speak. Can you imagine seeing someone healed before your very eyes? All the people were like, oh my gosh, what just happened? So, so Peter and John now get up and they shared where that power comes from. And they started preaching Jesus to the crowd of, of those who were looking on. Now these were some of Jesus' closest disciples. And this was a high-risk situation. The reason it was high-risk was because Jesus' crucifixion was only two months before this event. And the Jewish there was still a lot of tension amongst the Jewish leaders and Jesus' followers. The Jewish leaders were trying to stamp out this movement. And now here Peter and John are trying to spread the, you know, spread this movement and continue to help people come to Christ. This was a high-risk situation. But because they're together in the trenches, they're able to encourage each other. They're able to pray for each other. As one is sharing, you can bet the other one is praying. There's just this synergy together as they're working. Another example, Paul. Paul's missionary teams. I've cited Acts 13 and Acts 15 there. And I've put these here so you can look at these further uh, on your own time. But the church in Antioch was the sending church in the first century. They were the sending church. They would send missionaries out to you know, go to the ends of the earth. You remember the, the commission, you'll receive power, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Antioch was really focused on getting the gospel message out of the Jewish region to begin make an impact in the outer regions. So early on in this adventure, um, they select two men, Paul and Barnabas, to go and to go on a journey of planting churches and spreading the message of Jesus. And so Paul and journey or Paul and Barnabas head out, and here's what it says about them. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, that's Paul and Barnabas, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. We find out later that this is John Mark. 
Okay, a guy named John Mark. John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. It's almost like they're getting ready to go on this adventure and Barnabas says, hey, I've got a cousin. He's also a Christ follower. He can be helpful to us. And so it's likely that Mark helped instruct new converts. Maybe he helped with baptisms in these cities. Maybe he just helped out. Hey, can you run and grab this? Or we need some help on this. John Mark was just available to help. So we see this growing team of people who are on mission together. But later, when they head out on another journey to revisit the churches that they went to on the first trip, um, Paul and Barnabas changed the team up. And I want you to see the passage in Acts 15. So Acts 15 says this, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they, how they are. This is, called Paul, this is called Paul's second missionary journey. Okay, He went on his first one. Now he's going to go back and revisit those that he was on the first and also head further with the gospel if they could. Verse 37, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. This is, again, Barnabas' cousin. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone, gone with them to the work. So, on their first missionary journey, they hit a point where Mark got nervous because there was tension. If you read through the Paul's missionary journey, there was, there was persecution going on. They were not received well in all towns. Mark got nervous about it and he withdrew. He wasn't willing to continue on with the group. And so, verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So Paul and Barnabas decided to go separate ways. It says, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Okay, so Barnabas said, well, I'll take my cousin with me. We'll go do this over here. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers for the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, the way you read verses 40 and 41, you can see that this wasn't like a huge break and that you know, they decide that Barnabas, you're a bad guy. No, they just decide to shake the team up and go separate ways. And, and it, it made sense to the church. The church commended these groups to go. Sometimes personalities and experiences require that the, ta- the team changes up. But for the sake of the mission, we keep moving forward. This is very important for us to remember here. Later, we see Paul from prison requesting that Mark, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's in prison, much later. But in, in a side note, he says, would you send Mark to visit me? Because basically, we could tell at that point that the relationship between Paul and John Mark, who he didn't want going with him on the second trip, that relationship was restored because now Paul was saying, hey, ask Mark to come visit me while I'm here in prison. So they patched the relationship. The mission moved on. Sometimes what we see is we just realize that the people we teamed up with in the past in the good old days, aren't necessarily the, the team that we need to move forward in the future with. And that's okay. Just seasons change. You connect well. You work well with certain people in these years. In a few years from now, your life status and change, you know, your life, you know, circumstances may change. And you may need to create a new team. What I'm saying is that a group of people you work with to help others come to Christ. Another short example is Paul and Timothy. Acts chapter 16. You see, Timothy is introduced to us. He's described... There in Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. I point this out mainly because I want you to understand that God uses people not exactly like you to make up an effective team. You know, Paul's much older than young Timothy. And so we have teammates here who are older than us. We have teammates here that are younger than us. We have people in different stages of life. But God can just use us all to 
get his message out there. And that's the point is there, there are some people in this room who are specifically positioned to reach people that I never could. And I just know that. And sometimes I meet a person, I'm like, oh, this is just, I'm hitting a roadblock here. I don't, I'm not connecting well. And then I realize, you know what? This teammate over here is going to be really helpful. And so I'll introduce that person in the mix. And that's, that's a real help. This is the way that we work together as a team. And with all of these examples, we see some things. On the back, just a few of the values of the team. The prayer support is the first thing. Look at it in Colossians 4. Paul makes a request for prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us. Now, he's talking about a team. Pray for us. Pray for our team. That God may open to us a door for the Word. You know, pray for new opportunities, he's saying, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul is concerned here with giving a thorough, a clear, a bold, a wise, and an even gracious presentation of the message and so he's asking people, would you pray for me as I, as I share? He's, he's calling upon his team for prayer. Also, the team adds encouragement. Paul was just, he was keeping people aware of his ministry. He'd keep people aware of the roadblocks that he was encountering. He didn't see himself as an independent Lone Ranger. He just kept people informed. So Philippians 1.14, Paul says, Most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold now to speak the word without fear. Paul at the end of his life, he's in prison for spreading the gospel. The authorities were trying to silence the truth from spreading. They were trying to prevent the message from spreading further. But actually, Paul's incarceration only fueled the message and the, and the movement of the gospel because it strengthened the church. People in the church were, were like, you know, I'm, I'm fearful. But then they'd hear about Paul who's in prison spreading the gospel. And then all of a sudden, they're like, gosh, if he can do it from chains, if he can do it, we can do it. So there's encouragement through the team. And then last, just the team reinforces the message. We can keep... You know, he said there's a ripple effect of a bad witness. Well, the team, the more people meet on the team who provide a solid showing of what it means to live out the gospel and sharing of that as well, that reinforces the witness of the body. And so God, He wants us all to experience the power of working together. That's this, this verse from Acts 1.8 that we started with. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses. There's a link, an important link between seeing ourselves as witnesses. Not just a witness, but witnesses and those who have the power from God to do this. And so, I hope this has got you thinking about this question of who's on my team. As we wrap up, just think through that. Who, who is on my team? If I'm trying to help people come to know Christ, who am I working with to see that happen on a, on a, on a ground level? Who's on the front lines with me? Some of you, you're, again, you're gifted at meeting people. But who are you doing that with? You might find that a minor tweak in this area just really magnifies the impact that God wants to have through your life. And so I want to encourage you in this area. There's a few next steps you see here as, as the worship team joins me up here on the stage. First is that we would just pray that our church would have you know, an impact. That we would be effective witnesses together this fall with all that we're doing. We're using a lot of resources, time, energy, money to reach out. And so just pray pray for our efforts. Pray that we would team well together. That if there's conflict that arises amongst our team, that we'd work it out. And that we'd move forward for the sake of the mission. Second, just consider how to carve out time for teaming with others. This takes time to to include others in our lives in this way. And so just 
consider it, what would that look like? Let, let's wrap up and we'll just pray together. Father, again, it's good to be here, Lord. It's good to just worship together and to look at your word together and to be to be able to see patterns that emerge in Scripture, to be able to see uh, the ways of the early church and the impact that was made through these uh, early followers who really you know, put their lives on the line to identify with Christ, to love and to care for people, to, to give in, in ways that was very sacrificial, Lord, in order to see uh, this movement begin. We are benefactors of, of those people in the first century, the second century, those, those early years, Lord, when the resources were so lean. And now here we are, nearly 2,000 years later, with tremendous resources, with tremendous freedom still, Lord, help us to use the opportunity you've given us in this time in history, Lord, to make an impact for your eternal kingdom. Would you grant us the power that we need? Help us to have a mindset of of unity and teaming, Lord. Correct, Lord, any thinking, or even just if we're choosing to be unavailable to you in this season of our lives. Maybe we had different plans for this these years of our lives, but maybe through this time you're just calling us to reinvest ourselves in your mission of helping people come to know you. Would you help us? We need your help, Lord Jesus, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.